Hello, Heron. <clears throat> Hi, Tom. I was just outside looking at the beautiful clear sky. Oh, interesting. We're currently undergoing rainstorms here. Yeah, yeah. We had it. It rained uh, yesterday here. Uh huh. And that was nice too. But now the day after the rain is, I mean, at least for looking at stars, it's just great. <laughs> yes, yes. So you got on Teamspeak just before this recording, and Connor Sightsbone did Connor Sightsbone get online? Yeah, he was there, and and somebody named Jana that I had never met before. That was fun. Uh huh. And so yeah, yeah. Interesting. So you're forming quite the posse. Well, I I don't know what I I just I realized I've already committed to being there. Mm. You know, I'm I'm there whether any and usually nobody's there. So I've just last two times I've just put a message on Facebook that I'm going to be there, and uh, that's drawn some people there. So right. And how did Jenna find out about it? Uh, you know Dave Roll. Yes. With that name, she, uh, he you know, he does a lot of podcasting stuff, and he she's uh, she got into his stuff, and and then he brought her over to to uh, the Teamspeak thing. I wasn't familiar that Dave Roll was a podcaster. I'd never put those two things together. Yeah. So. He, he, well, he does. Uh, he uses meetups. He does meetups, but he does them online. Okay. <laughs> he advertises. I mean, he uses meetup.com, but it's all. Well, he has physical meetups too. And then he has, he does stuff on uh, talk show with uh, a guy named Steve Barnes, who's okay. a science fiction writer. And they, they do a weekly thing. Interesting. Do you know the name of the weekly thing? Um, <laughs> nope. But if you just go to, to, uh, you know, talk show and look for Dave Roll, L R O E L, uh, then it'll probably bring up his stuff. He does, I think he does several. It might be the Diamond Hour, but I I, I really don't know what what it, what it, what he calls it because he does several. Okay, interesting. Yeah, the only correspondence I've had with Dave Roll related to hiring artists uh-huh. and the fact that I was dramatically underpaying artists and that I should just get used to having bad artwork because I was underpaying <laughs> artists. Oh, that was what he had to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was, um, well, everyone's entitled to it. Everybody's got an, oh, more than one opinion, usually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. But yeah, I wasn't really sure who he was. I think he, there was some guy, and I think it was Dave Roll as well, who befriended me on Facebook. And then as soon as he befriended me, he started berating me through Facebook. <laughs> and I think it might be the same guy. I'm suspicious Maybe. that it might actually be. I think I said that to him. That doesn't sound like, well, Dave's, a, Dave's, um, He's a little odd. Very <laughs> you know, good. Like most of us who are interesting are. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Dave's, um, you know, but he's he's open and correctable and good-hearted. Very good. Well, I kind of assumed that because yeah. I think when I pointed out to him that uh, befriending me and then taking exception to a variety of things in a public post, it was associated with the Stone Age podcast, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think he, but it could be someone completely different because there are so many folks that have kind of wandered into the fray thanks to the stuff that you and I seem to be doing. But, uh, it could <laughs> yeah, be you never know what yeah. the hell you don't know what to expect. Anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, Composites Bowen, I get a sense of through his periodic Facebook posts and that he's interested in getting back into programming, but I'm not sure. I, I'm, do you record the team speak? thing or is it oh just yeah a it's recorded you know it, it was it was all recorded it'll it'll show up eventually uh-huh. <laughs> if you want it i can send it to you i mean if it's oh, i don't know i'd probably not i mean i just i i find it 
I think the conversation we didn't talk about that kind of stuff at all. We we talked about uh, uh, education and um, sociology mm-hmm. sort of stuff, and uh, yeah, we, so yeah, I'm still waiting for uh, for Lorraine to uh, organize a chat about Noble Ape. She said she was going to mm. get in contact with me. So Lorraine, I know you're listening. Uh, Any time <laughs> is good. Well, actually, probably very few times are good, but when we get together and organize the time, it will be good. I'm giving a talk at the contact conference at the end of next month, actually. And it's quite, it's held at SETI, or at least the first day is held at SETI. And then they spend the remaining two days at a hotel nearby. But SETI's a, quite an interesting place to be, Heron. Yes, I would imagine. You are surrounded by people who are clearly very intelligent and hold PhDs and things like that, but you do get the sense that they're nuts. I mean, really, that they're... Well, they're, whole... they're, they're, their sense of values is very different than mainstream America. They're, uh, they're, it's more they're, than that. It's well, more than that. Yeah, yeah and, and there's a, probably a greater percentage of just plain fucking nutcases there than, than you'd find it. At, <laughs> the well, not more than you'd find at the bus station, though. Well, no, but they're, they're slightly <laughs> different than those that you find at the bus station. Yeah. I mean, they're charming, they're affable, but they are completely devoted well, to... They're stuck in a story, I would say. Well, yes, I guess so. You know, and, and they've got, you know, and, and that's all. But see, so am I. So are we all. It's yeah. just that most of our stories have more overlap <laughs> than these guys' stories do. Yes. But I'm not sure they're any more stuck in theirs than I am in mine. Well, probably not. I mean, that's really the topic for discussion this evening. You sent me some homework. So I, I probably should ask if you have any topics for us to get started on. There is something I'd really like to start off Certainly. with, actually. Please do. And, and it's just really a, a note to, to our listeners um, that this whole thing has sort of taken me a little aback. Because um, basically what I've done in the past is just one-on-one conversations with basically new people that I'd never talked to before. Mm. And so so this is this is quite a departure. And then the idea that, that there are people who actually listen to this stuff on a regular basis is just something I'm not used to. You know, it's just sort of weird. But it's a it's a great opportunity for me though to to hear from you. And what I really want to invite anybody out there who's got any questions, objections, arguments Anything uh, that you would like to talk about with me about the stuff that that we talk about here, uh, please, I would love to talk with you. And you can Skype me. My my Skype name is Heron underscore Stone. Always text before you call. But um, you know we can arrange a time, and I would be very happy to discuss these things with you for any number of reasons, mostly because I'm getting ready to – Produce some curriculum and turn Gendo into a an actual product, I guess you'd call it, in the world. And it's be very helpful for me. And it always had. That's why I started doing podcasting in the first place was to talk to people and find out how they respond to some of these ideas. So anyway, the, the invitation is there. If you'd like to talk about any of this stuff, or and you can also join me on my Teamspeak channel. And in, in any case. I, I won't say any more than that, then, except that I would appreciate it. I mean, you'd be doing me a favor by arguing with me, <laughs> good-naturedly, hopefully, but uh, or anyway, just questioning me deeply on stuff, uh, on all this stuff, or you know. So, and, and, and I, that's that's it. I have my say. Okay. So my plan, in order to explore this topic was really to go back to first principles, because I understand that there are potentially a new listeners to this thing. And I thought rather than just throwing in where you set it off last week, 
Well, why don't you remind me of what it actually okay. my homework assignment that I gave The homework was. assignment was, <laughs> in this future utopia that you discuss, mm-hmm. where um, people kind of come together and those that don't want to go to Australia are thrown to Australia, <laughs> how is it possible for the people in this new environment, this new world, yeah. to be a community without a shared story. Ah, okay, okay. all right, yeah. That's not the way I would have worded it. Yeah, you're right. That's that's exactly the the heart of the issue, though. You're right. Yeah, Yeah, that's the benefit of me. But I think we probably should go back to first principles because if people are just coming to this recording, this Stone Ape thing... They can catch up on it later. Well, you, you say that, but I think it's probably... I think we skipped through enough of the bits and the pieces in our general discussion that, true, if they've gone back and started at the start and worked their way to here, they may have some understanding of what we're talking about. See, this is what I was talking about last week, about pandering to, you know, I I, I mean, I'll I'll do, it's your podcast. My vote is, let's just talk about what we want to talk about. If people aren't up to, they're not up to, they're not going to be up to speed on most of the stuff we talk about, even if they've been listening. Okay. So, I mean, but that's my opinion. If no, you, I mean, if it's important to you, I, then I just then, thought it was okay. kind of nice and friendly, like to those. Yeah, screw nice listening. and friendly. Okay. Just catch up. You're. Why are you late? <laughs> why haven't you been here before? What's the matter with you? Very good. Okay. So, throwing that idea aside, I explored through the week what it would mean, and it's very difficult. I mean, I think this is really why I wanted to return to first principles, Heron, because I wanted a reaffirmation, a redefinition. Then that's important, Then that, that not because of the listeners, but just for us to continue this discussion intelligently. If we have to start at first principles, let's start there. Okay. So the the earthlings that inhabit this... this We're talking after it's already been created, or exactly. you're talking... Okay, yeah, right. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in the position, just if one possibly could, yeah, conceptually, assuming, yeah, you yeah. know, it, all things aside, clearly yeah. brain damage, language, monkey, dumb, is there. It's a thing. It's acknowledged. No, not, not at this point in time. No, there no, no, but my point yeah. is, yeah. as a brain damaged language monkey, the thought experiment of trying to put myself in this uh, position yeah. has yeah. a series of curiosities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And talked yeah. About. Yeah. In fact, uh, probably a, a real language monkey couldn't even do that. Yes. You know, the, the act of imagining it almost lifts you out of language monkeyhood. <laughs> well, that's interesting. That's interesting. So anyway, I, I was exploring through the week in my idle hours the idea that I lived in this environment. Mm. I, as you initially described it, as the yeah. in terms of the shared story, the, uh, you know, the pillars of learning, uh, numeracy, literacy, an understanding of science, probably a far better understanding of science than we can possess currently. Well, it'll probably change. Our exactly. idea of science is Certainly. probably going to change. Exactly. Yeah, science yeah, well, yeah we don't need thing. that as a separate uh, category, yeah. really. Yeah. It's just the way we live. Yeah. But we discussed the idea of the shared story as yeah. being part of the that's, yeah, contract. That's, for that's a tough one. Term. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one, too. <laughs> Yes. And four points came to me through this. Okay. You and I inhabit a realm which is a luxurious realm. We are both intellectual outliers in the prescribed contemporary society. We have a freedom to dream, to be eccentric, (laughs) to move ourselves at least intellectually. (laughs) Man, we are so blessed. Thank you, Bob. So... (laughs) 
is this quality that we have, is this ability that we have, something that we shouldn't also ascribe to these earthlings living in this utopian environment Being outside well i think it's, i don't think it's an either or situation again since we don't have to actually believe the stories we just have to understand them i mean that's the idea that's that's why i think this is possible we're not asking people to actually believe this shit we're asking them to be aware and, and test that they actually understand these theories and this way of viewing the world and ask them to apply that but you can't actually enforce that but you can enforce and test whether or not they actually un- whether they understand it. Do you okay? So th- this is like uh, some kind of not necessarily standardized test, but some well, kind yeah. of verbal. How does that? Work? I don't. I, I have. I have no idea that that's. This is an extremely problematical arena we're in right now. Yes, and and uh, I haven't got a clue about that yet. Although I'm 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 still optimistic. In fact, I've gotten more optimistic because again, the, the idea is you can't really test intention but you can test whether or not they understand the story and and that may be enough maybe maybe if you just guarantee that all citizens at least understand the story can repeat it can can explain to you the repercussions of certain behaviors in certain situations and that they actually understand this theory and if they can't prove they understand that theory then they're on their way to australia so that's interesting. And unless they're brain damaged, in which case uh, they're in the hospital or something. That's interesting. Yeah. And again, I'm not committed to any of this shit. This, these, this is wild speculation. I'm trying to imagine the, the end point. Well, yeah, it wouldn't be an end point. But anyway, the new equilibrium uh, status and, and trying to figure out how, how to, first of all, how do we get there? And then how does it operate? Once it's in place, you know, what are the dynamics of the subsystems and how does it all work to have a stable uh, civilization that could last a million years? You're probably very familiar with how aliens, for want of a better term, become American citizens, become U.S. citizens. The process that they go through. Oh, oh yeah, the tests. Uh, exactly. yeah, they have to <laughs> learn the declaration. Of, yeah, most Americans couldn't pass. Exactly. I've seen the test. No, Nobody, I could. This is one of the very yeah. curious things about this. <laughs> so is it, I'm trying to think of anything analogous in contemporary society. I mean, clearly yeah. you could say there's nothing like what you're describing here. But well, there, there must are be something things. close. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've just recently, this book again that I've been reading, this computer theology book, I think has a lot of bearing on this area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have anything solid yet. I, I have intuitions that this is all, I mean, I haven't really looked at it too carefully before because it was just too messy. Okay. It, you know, it was just, uh, I was clear I didn't have a, any handle of where to start. But over the last couple of years, I'm beginning to feel a little more daring. <laughs> you know, I'm beginning to think there are some pieces that are beginning to show up that may have some bearing on this stuff. And that it may be, it may be, pos- I mean, this idea of testing for consciousness uh, is, is one that's been around for a long time for me and not, and I'm not the only one. And it's troublesome, <laughs> you know, because hell, I'm not conscious most of the time. So how the hell do you test for this shit anyway? Mm. But I'm beginning to think that may not be a crazy idea in the next decades. There may be some testable patterns of in the brain that are clear indicators of a certain relationship between the so-called self and the language machine. So your rap associated with punctuated equilibrium seems to indicate, and this could be completely wrong, that this future utopia is in a different state associated with 
mm, what would the term be? Innovation and novelty. Yeah, the, the that may, yeah. The things that we assume associated with the rapid development of technology and understanding. Yeah, no, I think that'll all come to an end, I would suspect. We will have, for all practical purposes, infinite computing capability. And we'll, have, guess, we'll have more power than we can do, than we know what to do with. Well, we may know what to do with it when we actually well, get Well, well but now we make, yeah. But, but again, those, well, there's all, yeah. Anyway, go on. I, I, I have no, I don't know what the future holds. I just speculate and throw out Certainly. these Certainly. But I mean, so, yeah. <laughs> one of the tenets, if not yeah. a central tenant, is yeah. the notion that we have moved beyond the current punctuation. Yeah. And, and we're into an equilibrium exactly. state. Yeah. Yeah. Which would mean a steady state on some, at least physically. Like I say, we, we, we're going to have to live within the energy budget of the planet and all, all those environmental issues. We need a stable, self-sustaining system that's going to, that's going to work. So some dimensions are going to have to remain stable or change as as the situation is needed as the environment changes. Uh, mentally, though, our, the stories we inhabit, uh, th there's no end to the possibilities for creation there. And especially when we create a matrix to live in, uh, the, the possibilities for invention and creativity just become endless. So another question associated with the punctuated equilibrium hypothesis is associated with how we've existed as humans, roughly the same kind of creatures that physically, we are Physically, you mean? Physically. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously yeah. we were in fields or something. Yeah, yeah, but a couple hundred thousand years maybe, something like that. And that was another point of the equilibrium. We've lived through periods of equilibrium, then we've had punctuation, yeah. then we've had yeah. the more return it, to it more seems equilibrium. The last, I don't, you know, I, sh I should probably study this a little bit deeper. I d they've probably specified the punctuations and the, the, the stable periods mm. and how long they were and when. Uh, I mean, that should be uh, clearly that if they haven't done that, then they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> yes. So I know my sense is the last one uh, was probably a couple of million years up until around 50,000 years ago, up until about 50,000 years ago, there was really no planetary sign. I mean, the planet really didn't recognize us. So that's interesting. Until, until agriculture, really. I mean, we painted a few cave paintings hmm. and made tools, but uh, the, the impact was always just extremely localized and certainly not visible from the moon. Once we started agriculture, uh, that, that was the outward sign that we had arrived. But still, you could say, I mean, I think of the notion of equilibrium here, and again, I'm not studied or yeah. you know, in, in this area, but you could argue that, for example, the Dark Ages... Yeah, we're a period of equilibrium. We're roughly a period of equilibrium, and I think yeah, but that's a short term. I mean, we're talking that was a couple hundred years. You know, we're we're talking about millions of years here. Possibly, well, depending on how you count, you could say maybe yeah. six hundred years. Whatever. Yeah, and and actually, they weren't that all that uh, stable. There was a lot of scientific invention going on in that period. It turned lots of stuff was happening. Uh, lots of other stuff wasn't happening, but yes. but uh, they weren't all that dark. I mean, they were some places, not others. So yeah, it's it's a very European perspective to refer to it as the Dark Ages yeah. in that context. So okay, so moving to this utopian state. If we are in a period of equilibrium, then I have less concerns, actually, associated with your description of the society. Mm -hmm. But I find it very difficult to imagine 
a long period of equilibrium in this environment just through the nature. Because of the physical nature of the planet or because of people? Because of people. No, but see, that's what we're talking about. We're, we're not talking about. There aren't any people in this They're world. earthlings. There are earthlings in this world. That's a very different situation. It just seems you're right. If you got, if you're talking about people, you mean language monkeys. Well, no, everything's like, off. Okay, let's consider. Let's consider that earthlings. What, what is a people? Then we need to define people. earthlings in these circumstances. An earthling is primarily someone who doesn't believe everything they hear their language machine say. Mm -hmm. They understand that the voice in their head is just their language machine, and that they've got stories, and that's all they've got. Yes. They've got their experience, and then they've got stories. And other people has their experience, and they have their stories. And that's up to us to get together and make it work somehow. But once you've moved beyond that, once you've become post-Stonian in this sense, where you no longer are governed by your language machine, you have a freedom, an intellectual freedom, which you can utilize to spend any way you choose. <laughs> That's right. Yes. You can, you know, you could do a variety of different things. Yeah. And if you do, if you choose to do something that harms the society, then you're out. So how is there any social evolution in this environment? Probably. I don't see why not. Although, maybe, I don't know. You're asking the hard questions. I mean, you're jumping right in. I don't know. That's, that's one of the questions. This, that's why I was bringing up the idea of the story. Do we really need a shared story? I don't think we do. I mean, well, this maybe, is the point that I'm arguing. Yeah, well, I, that's the thing is maybe we do, maybe we don't. But my sense is if you don't have to believe the story, why can't we all share a story? Why can't we all commit to understanding and being able to explain a certain story? Why can't there be a plurality of stories? Why doesn't oh, it no, have to be a story? Oh, because, uh, it's, because it's a unified civilization. That's why. But, now, if you maybe I'm wrong. If you can show me how okay, it would work give, without it, then I'm... Let me give you a few explorations yeah. Okay, here. all right. Good. Okay. Yeah. So the story may be relative, and you've talked somewhat supportively of the notion of the story being regionally relative as well. So well, sure, yeah, the people of the Colorado River have different concerns than certainly. other people. So. Yes, and I think the notion of the dynamic story that I'm sympathetic to has a certain degree of regionality, but also, if you eliminate the ability for for the being intellectual outliers, or if you eliminate the ability... But I'm not eliminating the possibility. To... I'm just saying they all have to understand this one arena. I'm not excluding any other arenas of discourse. I don't give a shit. Over time, the main, the central story probably will change, just like science does. It has to. Yes. Which is. But it has to be, you know, what this reminds me of is the goddamn French Language Institute, you know. Trying. Yes. But, but in some sense, I think there's, there's a, an element of truth in this. It's just for the same reason that computer uh, languages work. Is they decide on how it's going to work, and that's the way it works, and then they change it when they need to. But it's not just anything any damn idiot wants. Hmm. They change it when they need to. Or when they think they need to, or when they think it's going to make them some money, or when they find a new function. Or, but it, or yes, it's interesting in the computer language domain, because conceptually... There are a few additions which have changed languages. Well, multi-core processes are probably the easiest. Network yeah. communication is another one. But that really you can still, you can effectively uh -huh, yeah. create a network that is just like you're talking to a printer or a file or a variety yeah. of things. Yeah. But multi-core processes, but that wasn't, um, that wasn't really a language addition. That was more just an additional concept in processing. It is an interesting way of looking at things, though, in terms of programming languages. 
You know, I guess Noble Ape has always been written in the C language, which is one of the oldest and, you know, well, oldest modern languages that's used in computer programming. It is a curious thing. I guess my hope is, in this utopian future, that the qualities that we are afforded, irrespective of the kind of broader, you know, language monkey groups, would also be afforded to folks in these societies. In fact, I think it's important that as an intellectual outlier, we don't create a society that doesn't allow for ourselves. That seems kind of curious to me. But that's basically my notes associated with this discussion, Harry. I had quite a bit of fun thinking in an abstract sense associated with what this thing would look like. Do you have any additional elements that you want to add to this topic? Well, just you seem to think that you can't have them both, that it's one or the other. And and I don't I don't see that. And I'm trying to I, I don't really want to argue against it because I don't actually understand it. There there's no reason why everybody couldn't be trained, just like when you're, when they're trained to read and write and code and, and whatever fundamental parts of their education they get, uh, you know, they'll learn how to think, you know, about maps and languages and stories and how that all works. And so to, to all subscribe to a single story just, um, doesn't mean you can't also have all sorts of other stories going on. And that that single story will probably morph over time. In fact, yes. it inevitably will. Yeah. But what happens through those morphing periods? I mean, do well, you have that social a, agreement over the shared story? I, I, or? I don't know. I, we'll have to see how that works out. That's that's Those are good questions. And I don't have answers for those things. I have no idea. But I don't think they're insurmountable problems. The I, nature of a speculative future is always a very curious... <laughs> kind of exploration anyway. Yeah. And I didn't want to devote too much time to this, but I just wanted to show that I had done my homework for... Well, I think these... Yeah, to me, these are central issues about our future, and, and we all need to be engaged in this conversation, asking these questions. I mean, if it's just you and me talking about it, well, that's the start, <laughs> but this has to be what people are talking about all the time. Yes. This is what m most people need to be thinking and giving some small portion of their intellect to this process. Yes. Well, I certainly feel that way. Hence the discussion. Well, that's, again, that's why doing this may, may help that along a little bit. You know? Yes. I think, yeah. I mean, there are clearly an almost infinite number of steps between here and there in terms of getting to what we're talking about. But it is good, I think, even in the tra kind of transitional principles to have these kind of ideas laid out, so at least you can say... Well, yeah, yeah. so when, when the times for choices do come up, and those rare times when we actually can choose, that we make informed choices. Yes. And we are forced to choose. There's no, there's no way not to choose. There's no way not to choose. Well, to not choose is to choose. <laughs> you know, you choose not to choose. There's just no way your be your behavior in the world, the way you actually behave in the world, is your vote. It's 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 your life. It's who you are. It's what you do. Yes. So I have a variety of other topics here. One of them is listener suggested. One of them isn't listener. Or actually, the rest are not listener suggested. The listener suggested topic was horses. <laughs> My exact response. Very good. <laughs> I don't like them. Uh, oh, some people really do, don't they? Some people yeah, just some people love really horses. Do. 
Yeah. My view is I probably need to meet more horses. Maybe the horses yeah. that I've met yeah. so far yeah. have not been. Well, they were probably in a bad situation when you met them. Probably so. You know, they probably had a bit and saddle on them and all sorts of shit and people telling them what to do. And, yeah. And My experience with horses are mainly camp horses. And the camp horse just took you along a trail. Then towards the end of the trail, decided to run really, really quickly under <laughs> low hanging tree limbs to see if they could knock you off. And then you'd end up back at the camp. Ooh, yeah. So, yes, my view is that... You I've had no experience with horses except, like, on a hayride one time. Uh. I don't think I've ever actually ridden a horse except, like, in a stable, you know. Mm. Uh, the actual, I mean, free riding, in fact, I know I've never ridden a horse. I'm sure it could actually be quite fun. I mean, I'm sure once you, yeah. if you had a horse, if you love your horse, yes. if you if you raise yeah. your horse and have a real relationship with it, it could be awesome. I bet. Yes, I guess we just haven't had those kind of relationships yeah. with horses. No, you gotta. That's. The, I don't think very many people do. Yes. Well, and then there's the people who just love horses because they're brain damaged language monkeys, and if it wasn't horses, it would be pigs. Well, I wonder that about me with cats. I mean, I do wonder about the volume of cats that I surround myself with yeah. and if it is having a somewhat strange effect on my intellectual growth. <laughs> How many cats do you have now? Y y you could count it perfectly on one hand. Oh, okay. Well, that's not so many. I've had five cats. Yes. Well, f no, I don't think I've had five. I've had four. <laughs> had four? Yeah. Well, I didn't. Is the girl I, the lady I lived Certainly. with, four cats. But I, I think four is four, four or less of the perfect number. I would say. Well, I think it depends on the cats. I think two would true. be too many if it's the wrong two cats. True. Very true. Very true. <laughs> but yes, it is a yeah, it's a strange kind of coven of creatures. Well, they're all different, aren't they? How about yeah? How, Completely different. Ferrets. I, I don't. I don't understand. I. Ferrets are, are becoming popular animals, and I just well, it, again, it has to do with breeding. That the whole thing about the dog was a clear example of that. Yes, is uh, it, it's breeding and just taking these exotic animals and turning them into pets. I I don't see them as pets. Yes, I don't think they see themselves. No, as the whole pets concept either. of pets is just such a strange meta yeah. concept that is so far removed from. You yeah, know, that's thing. dogs and cats. I don't think there are any others. I mean, because really, that's a human condition. Uh, so through my through my ten hours of Netflix this week, I have watched a series called Tanked, which is about people that make aquariums, custom aquariums. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. And I've been watching it. It's based in Las Vegas, and I have uh, a whole series on that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's one well, of these well produced. I mean, it's, it's well, it's interesting actually because I've I've watched so much Netflix in the past few months. I really don't know anymore. It's kind <laughs> of it's a bit cheesy, but it's not really offensive, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's informative. Have you learned a few things that uh, you thought fish? were interesting, and that uh, well about the whole thing? Anything? Well, <laughs> Have you I've got learned, anything out of it at all? I've, I've wondered. I've actually pondered whether I feel that. Even the large fish tanks are ethical things because the larger fish tanks they put sharks in. If you have a yeah, they put a bigger thing in yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. They put they don't just put more little fish in it. Yes, <laughs> and it strikes me that when you yeah. have a, a seven foot shark in a, in a twenty foot, foot tank, yeah, tank. <laughs> that's worse than having a bunch of minnows in a three foot tank. Yeah, yeah worse than having a bunch of minnows in a water glass. Actually, yeah, yeah, it really. <laughs> 
it strikes me as a very strange phenomenon. And, and they don't make that distinction at all? They just sort of gloss over that? It's very funny because I think the notion, and I really, I wonder after, you know, after 10 months or <laughs> four years or these kind of things, what actually happens to these aquariums? They're made out of perspex, not glass. Uh-huh. So they already have perspex has slight leaching qualities. Uh-huh. I'm a bit concerned by the notion of it's going to poison anything that's living term, it. Yeah, fish inside perspex. But it's a very it's a very formulaic program. My wife and I, my spiritual advisor and I, came to it just because it was something that was there. And we watched maybe two or three episodes in an evening, as as you can through Netflix, yeah. or as I have to in watching 10 hours. And we've gone back periodically to watch it again and again. I like it because I actually, I miss aspects of living in Las Vegas. I don't necessarily miss the people, but I miss having a house and a space yeah. and, you know, a sense of, I don't know. The funny thing about this part of the world is... I mean, where we live and this kind of places that we're looking at, you know, moving into are just so shoddy, for want of a better term, compared to our place yeah. in Las Vegas. Well, yeah, well, it's because of the price. Yeah, prices in general. Yeah, right. You it's can get insane. a hell of a lot better house yeah. uh, in Vegas than you can around any place here. Yes. <laughs> but who the hell wants to live in Las Vegas, though? Well, That's why. <laughs> who ca- I mean, when you close your door, who cares? I yes, mean, it's- for a hermit like me, it doesn't yeah. make any difference at all. That, you know. Ditto. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not like we've had floods of, I mean, yeah. you don't have a, my wife has a social network here, but I certainly don't have a social network here. I'd like to live, in, uh, really, some, at some point, I'd like to be living up in the mountains, mm. you know, like at Big Bear. Yes. Something like that, you know. Yeah. yeah. Have a nice high-speed internet connection and a nice, warm, cozy place and, uh, the, you know, the mountains and the lake right outside. That would mm. be awesome. Yes, my in-laws used to live up there with my wife and her sisters when they were children. Oh, really? Big, Big Bear? Bear? Near, right near Big Bear. Yeah. I mean, it's nice because there's actually a little town there. I mean, there's a restaurant. You can go in Certainly. in the morning and have coffee and yeah. talk to all the other Big Bearians. <laughs> yeah, Boulder Creek here is like that, except yeah. it's Redwoods rather than, but it's the same kind yeah. of phenomenon. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get to. Yeah. Um, and as you say, there's one restaurant in town and this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a brewery It's got as its well. advantages and its disadvantages. Yes. <laughs> I certainly, I mean, we haven't been up there for probably, we haven't been to Boulder Creek for probably about a year or so now. We actually looked at a house up there, uh, maybe, well, a year or more ago. I have, I know a couple of people up there. I know Bruce Damer, and also there's a model railroader who works at Apple who lives up there and he's invited me to his place. Mm. Um, it is a very nice part of the world. I certainly like the Redwoods, but I think the isolation, I don't know. Well, don't but that's what the internet's for. You're not, I mean, I, I'm, I, I couldn't be any more isolated than I am right now. Mm. I, I, I live in my little room. I go to work two days a week. I, I do go out into the world, but just to get stuff, you know, basically mm-hmm. my interactions with the world for the most part occur right here. Certainly. So, Certainly. and this could be in Big Bear quite easily. Well, except, well, you would need to earn an income. Well, no, I, I know. I'm just talking about, yeah, yeah. You need, but again, with the internet, that that probably wouldn't be that much of a problem. Well, that's what they've been saying for the past how many well, years. Well, there are but... plenty of people that are doing it, you know. Mm. Like I say, those are business decisions and markets yes. and all bunch of stuff. I don't see, I, I actually am getting more and more confident that I can make a living doing Gendo on the internet. Mm. It may take a couple of years to get to that point to, mm. 
package it, monetize it, turn it into a product. But um, I don't really see any reason why that can't be done. The only issue is can I do it with any kind of integrity? Yeah, I think and I could is... clearly do it and make money at it. I mean, they're, they're, that's just business. Well, the you know the consultants, uh, personal coaches, all the self help bullshit out there. That's you know if you play that, everyone knows how to play that game. You know, you may not be as rich as Tony Robbins, but you can certainly make a living doing that shit. So this year, I think represents four years of our communication. Really, has it been that much? Maybe what? maybe three years. I don't know, but uh, I would say I think this is. Like yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. And the thing that strikes me is this is exactly the same wrapping point you had four years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, I I've been aware of this for some time. I I'm also aware of it that I, there are things I can't make happen any faster than they happen. All I can say is that I see things happening that are encouraging. Hmm. You know, I'm more encouraged than I have been. Part of it has to do with me changing my own attitudes about business and marketing and packaging ideas to get them into the world and thinking in terms like that. That that was abhorrent to me for years. So. You know, so I've got a lot of internal reprogramming to do. And recently I've had an experience with YouTube associated with getting an idea yeah, out to yeah. 20,000 people. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly surprised me. I now have about 400-odd subscribers from that. And the question <laughs> is, how do you make more content from that? I mean, we do it through this, but I do it through my Well, yeah, it's just you so. get them into here. That's exactly. all. Yeah, yeah. and then they'll, and 90% of them will go away, but the 10 that stick will be just the ones we were looking for. Well, I mean, that certainly worked with Model Rail Radio, and the bleed over from Model Rail Radio to Stone Ape has been definite. I'm not really sure about the wargaming toy soldier nerds and how we get them to this, but the thing that interests me Well, again, me is, there's a percentage of them. Most of them won't. So I used to have very interesting ideas associated with numbers with YouTube, particularly for YouTube advertising. Yeah. And then I realized, actually, I have a video on YouTube that's had 100,000 views associated with a bunker system that I made. Again, toy soldier nerds. Yeah. It doesn't earn me the kind of money that it should, looking at the numbers associated with these YouTube videos. I think there's a phenomena where um, they say you can make this money through YouTube if you have a certain number of subscribers and what have you. But in actuality, I don't I think that business is still there. I mean, I think the folks that have gotten into it and have bought in, like, the you know, the, the entry-level rung have certainly done something very well for themselves. But I think now it strikes me as quite strange that, I don't know, I, I honestly don't know, I would probably make... You know, twenty dollars every other month through that <laughs> yeah. video. I mean, it's yeah. not a lot. It's not. Well, but if you got a thousand of those things going, uh, that well, could be worthwhile. Uh, well, but, a th- but that's but now you're talking about big production. Stuff. Not necessarily yeah. so, because I think the ones that have been successful have just been able to maintain an audience. I mean, ah, when I, yeah. When okay. when when my voice you know fails from this recording, I am going to go and study what I should actually put out through you know yeah. this new channel yeah. that I've created. Yeah. But I think. The blueprint that YouTube offers, particularly associated with kind of rapid contact, very infinitesimally small compared to just putting up videos and getting, you know, 20 to 50 views over a long period of time. <laughs> we talked a little bit last time associated with how th- phenomena like mole rail radio, the, the three word phenomena that immediately yeah. 
indicates to people. Yeah. And you said, this well, is for me or not. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. And you said, well, you know, language has this kind of keyword as well that people, but the, I think the nature of a hobby, the nature of something that people do yeah. as kind of pastime enjoyment is very different than the kind of stuff that you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, is not just a pat. This is for people that I say have the itch. Mm. There, there are some people that just can't leave it alone. <laughs> you know, they're just bugged by certain things, certain philosophical issues, and it's just, it's part of them. You know, they, they, they ask, they wonder, they think, and they don't, most people just sort of give up on that domain, I think. Mm. They just go, you know, there ain't nothing going to happen there. Uh, you know, let's go make some money or get laid or something. But that's. So I went out to lunch with my spiritual advisor last Saturday and we talked oh, your about. Your wife? Eckhart Tolle. She pronounces what? it Tolle. She says, well, I've heard, how, yeah. yeah. And she says that's how Oprah pronounces it. That's the way it needs to be pronounced. So I, I'm not going to argue. Has anyone that. ever asked Eckhart? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm saying think Oprah did. Well, but everyone else says totally. And I assume I've heard, asked several German people and they say it's Tola. <laughs> so, yes. well, apparently Tola has been the way it's been pronounced through yeah, the Oprah well, affiliation. Yeah. Okay. Well, then you can know the, yeah, the lineage of who, to whom you're talking. My spiritual advisor actually found it very, I mean, my spiritual advisor is a huge fan of the Stone Act podcast. I've just got to put that out there. Really? She Thank listens you. to me editing it and she actually likes the format. Really? So yeah. yes, she's a fan. Harris, good, good. God, I, I'll, I'm still getting used to this idea of fans. <laughs> That's going to take me a while. Sorry. She put to me that Heron Stone and Eckhart Tolle were two kind of curious bed, intellectual bedfellows with regards to some of these ideas. And I think her hope was that you had advanced some of these elements. And I, to your defense, I came to it, uh, noting that you're, you know, Toll speaks about the mind, you speak about the language machine. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, there are advancements I, yeah. here. But she posed to me a chicken-egg question, which I couldn't answer immediately. Okay. Is it that your views have changed because of your reading and listening to Toll? Uh -huh. Or is it that Toll mysteriously had a good portion of what you were already talking about memorialized through his writing. His uh, it's the latter. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. No, he hasn't changed my thinking a bit, but I think he's changed a lot of other people's thinking uh, in ways that are somewhat similar to the ways I'm trying to move people. Very similar in some regard to McKenna with me. I mean, my view is that folks who have some understanding of McKenna are immediately more sympathetic to some of the things that I do with Noble Ape. That McKenna basically warms you to some of the kind of hairbrain wandering. Yeah, well, if you can get through McKenna, shit, you're up for almost anything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he softens everybody. Anyone that gets through him is probably ripe for anything anybody's got. Oh, that's say. interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's like the lunatic magnet that you just, <laughs> that draws them all together. And yeah. yes. It's interesting, actually, because I'm speaking at this contact conference at SETI. I'm very mindful that my current style is just to come in kind of bludgeoning folks with, you know, what's <laughs> going on with no blape. I mean, I really uh, don't care anymore associated with kind of 
introductory discussion. I mean, I have a relatively short introductory discussion, and then I start talking. Well, about it depends it. on who you're who you're talking to, doesn't it? I mean, you got to well, figure out what your audience is. That interests me because I think the Star Trek metaphor, I think, is very good with the contemporary work. The notion that what I am doing is really trying to atomize consciousness, so consciousness, in a simulated sense at least, can be moved between multiple processes and doesn't, you know, a single noble ape doesn't have to exist at a single point, it can exist in a distributed fashion. And then imagine if you can encode, you know, human consciousness in a distributed fashion, yeah. then basically you're communicating in ways where the, the body doesn't need to necessarily be the central point for this information. Yeah. Well, it already is distributed among cells. Certainly. <laughs> so, you know, this is just considerably more distributed. And, and, and throughout the body, though, too. I mean, really, our nervous system isn't just in the brain. Mm, no, without it, question. It's all over. You know? Yeah, but it's the still, you know, if you cut it up with knives, you can't send it through the mail. <laughs> you know, so you can't force it into optical fibers and send it to you know, Siberia or anything like that. Yeah. And I mean, this is more, so yeah, I, it's interesting actually. I've got a, it's a half hour talk. I've got to do some slides. I think and what's your it. title? Um, well, originally, because I wrote the title two years ago, I had Bob Bottrum working on Noble Ape full time. So it was Noble Apes in space with the view that it would be a robotics Ah, oh, oh, I see. But now I'm going to be talking about the notion of kind of transmitting consciousness by an analysis of, you know, what these broad motivators are. And okay, so the idea of decentralized. Exactly. Yeah, the yeah, idea the, of the, being the, distributed. Yeah. Some, of, some of the experiences that I've had in recent months associated with atomizing various computational components of the simulation and then seeing how you can distribute them amongst many different core processes yeah. and seeing what happens through that. But the... It's the warm-up part. The, the one in um, two years ago, so in 2012, there, hasn't, there wasn't one in 2013. But the one in 2012, they had a fellow who demonstrated uh, Avida, which is an artificial life package circa the early, well, early 90s, basically. Graphically, it doesn't show very well at all, which is quite, you know, you... You basically reinforce the views that people will have associated with these kind of simulations. But I'm now at a stage where I don't want to call Noble Ape artificial life. That ship has kind of sailed. Mm, yeah. So I'm not going to use the artificial life term. I'm just going to describe Noble Ape. There you go. And, and, you know, and what is Noble Ape? Well, it's a simulation. It's a okay. series ah, of simulations. Ah, it's, okay. in fact, a collection, a clearinghouse of simulations. Okay. With the view that simulations of a variety a, of different things, a okay. variety of different things, a biological simulation, a weather yeah. simulation, uh, That's right. multiple Compass cognitive of... simulations, uh, yeah. physiological simulations. Uh, if you can simulate it, it should go in. So it's an way. environment that you're in, exactly. or, uh, in simulating, really. Yeah, mu multiple simulations run together yeah. Yeah. to see. How yeah. these simulations. Yeah, calling it artificial life. Yeah, that's, that's really sort of silly, actually, now that I think about it. Because yes. you can't talk about life without talking about geology. Exactly. And and so, guy. yes. And, yeah. you know, the problem is that you end up in a series of That might be an interesting point, just making that, that the, the idea of artificial life itself is kind of a silly idea. I don't need to make that point. That's not the, you, my view is that's someone else's point to make. It's not my point to make. Yeah. And someone, okay. someone else can talk about that. That's not the talk yeah. that I You have. just want to talk about artificial or simulated environments. No, I want to talk about noble life. I want to talk yeah, about okay. the experiences right, yeah. I've had with noble life and this associated are, with the yeah. hypothesis, right. the theories that come through this, particularly associated yeah. with 
vast quantities of information transmission and what consciousness means in this. And how does this fit in with SETI? Uh, so the contact conference is associated with the search right. for yeah. extraterrestrial intelligence. Right. right. A wide variety of things that overlap with SETI. It's about space and, uh, ideas of, uh, you know, getting things out into space and whether it's human or robotic missions and these kind of things. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's all intertwined. I think I can certainly talk about noble life in this context relatively yeah. easily. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, you could eat. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it nice? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I could talk about Gendo in almost any context and make it relevant to it. You know, well, I can find some way. Thing. I mean, the, the whole notion of making things relevant is really, really part of the. It's not part of the problem. But it's one of the things that I have to ponder in terms of framing these talks. Well, in their per- not yeah yeah in their perceptions. You know, the thing is, can you get away with it and everybody have a good time? Yes. I think <laughs> the know? problem is that people come to these things with so many preconceived ideas. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. You can play with that. Well, to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. But yes. Yeah. Again, it's whether or not you, you got the stage present, whether you got your act down and you can get away with it. You know, mm. you know George Carlin got away with all sorts of shit. Well, he had <laughs> but he was funny. He had an easy <laughs> thing to, you know, the, the, there was nothing that he was externalizing other than, you know, his air particles and that. Well, I, I know, I know, but I, you yeah. know, what I'm saying is that you, what you can get away with, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, that's sort of what, at least my sense whenever I give a public talk is my sense is that, uh, that everybody at least have a good time, mm. you know, and have pleasant memories more or less. I mean, if you, few people are offended, I don't really give a shit, but <laughs> as long as, uh, some people actually enjoyed it and maybe learned something and, and, th- and went away with a good feeling that might engender them to look again or something, then I will have succeeded. Yes. I watched two documentaries through the week, one of which I'd seen previously, one of which I hadn't seen previously. The first documentary really, well, the first documentary was on the invasion of Iraq which is a topic that I used to know like the back of my hand. It was something that I used to, I don't know, it was just there. And then over a period of, I guess, four or five years, it left me. (laughs) I think actually... Yeah, if you don't tell the story over and over again, then it just... Yeah, it was sufficiently sufficiently disturbing and just generally evil that I think it was a story that I didn't need to have in my quiver for a long period of time. And then watching this documentary again, I remembered some of the raw emotions, particularly associated with the complete mis... I mean, the notion that you can handle an invasion well is a very interesting and curious idea to start off with. The nature of invading somewhere and doing things in a humanitarian spirit (laughs) seems to... Leave one feeling a little cold, a little short. <laughs> well, the best you can do is make sure your your weapons are accurate. Well, I mean that that's about it, you know, so that you actually get your what it is you're trying to kill and destroy, and and try to avoid as much as you can, uh, you so, know, wasting your ammunition on something that isn't going to pay off. So the complete. I mean, an element which I guess I knew about, but I'd forgotten about because it wasn't so fresh in my mind, was the period after the, you know, after the invasion had completed, when there was complete lawlessness and things like, you know, Iraq's antiquities 
Oh, yeah. Were just completely decimated. Yeah, that was tragic. Uh, and this notion that really it was, I mean, to say it was about the complete systematic destruction of a culture, it seems to indicate that, you know, there were, might have been intents behind the folks who were organizing it. It just appears that they were incredibly stupid. I mean, they just... Yeah, I'm not even sure it makes any difference, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we still have to deal with the consequences of this. Yes. But, um... Yeah, that's a good question, is whether, you know, whether they were just stupid or evil. Yes. You know, or bo- or it's not either or. It's not they, either they're or. They're both. You know, yes. they're stupid and they're evil. <laughs> yeah, but the systematic destruction of, you know, the the pillars of the society, the... Well, history. what kind of society what was there in Iraq? Well, there was until, Saddam's society. Up until up until 1990, aside from the protracted war with Iran, which hadn't been particularly productive or humanitarian, the Iraqi people in their region had a superior in terms of education, in terms of healthcare, in terms of being re- relatively moderate in, you know, a religiously, relatively religiously, you know, hysterical area, Iraq seemed to tick a few reasonable yeah. boxes. No, and you're right. You're right. Yeah, it's it's been destroyed. You're right. Whatever was there, no, no matter who Saddam was, mm. it was way better with him there. What what was going on when he was there? Mm. Is, is, there's just no way <laughs> that that wasn't better than what they've got now. It, it's a bit like Afghanistan in the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean the the renaissance of Afghanistan in the 1960s is really difficult to put into perspective now. You see isolated photographs, some small documentaries here and there, but you really don't get a sense of the. Um, Complete intellectual devastation. Well, look uh, at the, 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 what was it, the kind of former Yugoslavia, you know, Zagreb. Yes. I'm thinking of it. That, that was a center for animated film and culture all over the world. Certainly. You know? And uh, yeah, yeah, it's fragile. That's scary. That's why, that's why it's so scary. <laughs> and figure out our stories. Yeah. Somehow get them to work together. Oh, Speaking of stories, the other documentary I w- watched through the week, which I've probably seen about five times, including when it was released, was Waco Rules of Engagement, which is a documentary I'm pretty sure you would have seen as well. Sounds like I probably did somewhere along. It's an account of the what led up to and the whole period through the Waco siege, yeah. but also the constant ongoing kind of congressional oversight committees and senatorial, you know, reviews that occurred after the siege. And the thing that strikes me through that is that the Democrats look really, really, really bad through that. Having seen the Iraq video where the Republicans look really, really bad, the (laughs) Democrats look really, really bad through the Waco rules of engagement analysis. Really? Yes. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, my perspective is that once you have a hierarchical story that is sold, you can't do... it, It actually shows exactly the same kind of group think, basically. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Well, I'm not familiar with the details. What of, is your perspective? If, if I were to say to you, Heron, yeah. what is your perspective on Waco? Uh, I don't have an informed perspective. Okay. Do you feel in any way sympathetic with either the Davidians or the, uh, oh, I can, know, yeah, FBI I can see, position? I can see 
that if you believe your story, that uh, I can see how both sides in good faith can can act on their different stories. Yeah. And believe it and believe they're doing right because they think their story is the way the world really is. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I can see that easily. Yes. Now, I'm considerably more sympathetic with the Davidians, although clearly I'm not religious. Well, that's because we're outliers. Yeah, sure. Any time. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Who the hell is a government coming in telling me what to do? You know, well, I'm out moreover, here. Moreover, if the government comes with violence and clearly in order oh, to yeah, promote I, a confrontation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually very interesting because I would think that Waco rules of engagement through the frequency and also the period of time that I saw it. I was telling my spiritual advisor about this because I thought I had seen it when I was about 14. But she pointed out temporarily that was impossible. I would have needed <laughs> to have been yeah. at least 18 by the time I saw Waco rules of engagement. Yeah. I had seen the documentaries associated with... Uh, Elaine Wuornos previously, I was thinking maybe these two, because the style was similar, not quite, I mean, the rules of engagement was obviously considerably more associated with the, the hearings after the effect. Yeah. But uh, the Elaine Wuornos documentaries, I think I saw two of them, and then obviously they had one just before she was killed, really portrayed a very curious role. That's a great choice of words, before she was killed rather than before she was executed. <laughs> I mean, I really like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many words, and we can choose any damn one we want. Yes. <laughs> well, she was killed. I mean, that's right. That's pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting, actually, because I used the term killed to describe what happened to my wife's grandmother as well. Yeah, it, well, if somebody takes some action that results in somebody dying, yeah. that's called killing. That's exactly <laughs> my view. Yeah, sometimes killing is justified. Sometimes it's not. doesn't change the nature of killing. Mm. Yeah, I think the justification is is very curious in all these cases, however. I don't know. I mean, Elaine Wernos is a phenomena as a woman who killed men who had clearly a very dysfunctional life from her birth through to her death. But at the same point, such a compelling, uh, and I mean, she's almost, she, you know, she's, she's a female Charles Manson. Well, yeah, I was just, that's just what I was going to say is yeah. that Charles Manson is a compelling figure, yes. still is, yes. you know, because there's so much truth that comes out of his mouth. You yes. know, he may be perverted and weird as hell, but he has a way of capturing, cutting through the bullshit and saying what's real. Hmm. I don't know. I, I'm not that familiar with Elaine Wuornos, but... Elaine Wuornos was, uh, well, she... Came... Is that a good comparison, her and Manson, then? I don't know. I mean, I've whole... always found Wuornos fascinating just because she was so calm and rational, and then she had an anger which built in her, which is very familiar to me. I know a lot of people... I mean, the phone hacker John Draper is exactly the same, uh -huh. where they just work themselves into a hysteria, and then... In an instant, they are calm again. It yeah. is a very strange psychology <laughs> to move through yeah. this kind of constant. That sounds like flowing. something has got to be uh, biological in base. There's some some cycle going on there that's physiological. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, that would seem like a pretty obvious candidate for something like that. Are you familiar with uh, Charles Manson's new fiance? Rolling Stone did an article on her recently. Uh, They've done three articles. I, I, on no, her. I heard about it, but I, I yeah, just, some nineteen-year-old girl. <laughs> who, he's, who he's captivated still. <laughs> That's great. Good for Charlie. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, he's an interesting character, actually. I love Charles Manson. You should write him letters, you know, Heron. Well, right, yeah. No, I don't... You know, actually, it would, I would love to spend some time with him, really. That, yeah. would, that would be fascinating. No, yeah. I'd, I'd start writing... I mean, if I had more time, I would write... Really? I never... You know, I never really thought about that. People do write to him, and he does reply. He does get him. Well, the thing yeah. is, he does get him. And yeah. he probably doesn't have a hell of a lot else to do than... Re- God, that's a great idea. You're right. I Maybe I'll, I'll think about that. That's on my list of things to think about doing. Yeah, and you've got a limited time here, Harry, and you really need to get Yeah, he's thing. getting up there. Yeah, yeah you know. And he's not in the best environment. No, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I, it's interesting, actually, because the I watched a, a documentary a while back about, oh, he was a rocks, he was a, oh, I can't think of the fellow's name now, but anyway, he, he had a long, um, a long kind of pen pal relationship with Charles Manson, mm. where he wrote to him frequently. And Manson referred to the fact that he had poor personal hygiene because he came to visit him occasionally. And Manson in a bit of... This fellow died, actually. I think he died of a heroin overdose. I'm trying to think of the fellow's name. A musician? A musician. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) There are a few of them. (laughs) Yeah, there are a few of them. Uh, Anyway, and Manson said after this fellow's death that he was okay to talk to, but every time he came for a hug, you had to back away a little bit, which I thought was amazing insight from Charles Manson. Uh, but no, I would write to him, Heron. I think he's no, sufficiently... Well, I, I, I never thought about it, and I'm not quite sure what I would say, but it's certainly an interesting idea because uh, he he would be an interesting guy to talk to. There's no question about that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we could do it on Skype. I could just have him I'm, on my on my podcast. I'm not sure if he. I'm not sure if you're allowed to do that, Heron. But you're certainly allowed to write to him. Yeah. Well, whatever. We'll see. I, you know, my sense is that i probably won't but we'll mm. see it's it's just i have never thought about that so mm. i've been interested in uh corresponding with uh john walker as well he's the yankee taliban or the yankee tally as i used oh to yeah call yeah because yeah he sounds like an interesting character as well but not quite the same level of uh insight that manson has no manson um oh yeah manson it, well he's one of a kind <laughs> you know? yes yes and those pictures of him when he, you know, I've got a couple of pictures of him. I, in fact, I used in my own profile once. That's one when he was 14. He looks like such a sweet kid. Yeah. You know? He'd already been institutionalized yeah. by the time he was yeah. 14. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, what happened? God, what happened to him? Well, it's an interesting idea that if you if you are affiliated with a group of people that commit murder, you are also guilty of murder. It's well, the notion that the getaway driver is just as responsible yeah, as the yeah. person who well, pulls the trigger. And that's that's an idea. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one way to think about it. That's the way it's applied. Yeah. Well, there's I mean there's certainly a rationale for that. Hmm. Yes. I mean, if, if you tell me, I want you to drive a car, we're going to do a, you know, we're taking guns into a bank and we're going to uh, take some money. And if we have to shoot somebody, we're going to do it. And we want you to drive the car. I'd say you're as guilty as they are. If you participate in a process knowing that somebody might end up getting shot to death, then that's the game you're going in playing. But if you don't know it. Well, that's a different story. If they lie. You're still to you, considered guilty in these Well, that's a, that's, uh, I don't, that the legal system is whatever it is. I'm just giving you my analysis. <laughs> so through our discussion last week, there came a point where we were talking about the left and the right in this country. And I said that I'm not particularly interested. I don't, I don't think there is a left in this country. I think Pete Seeger was the last of the left. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Now yeah. he's gone. There's no left left. You know, that's <laughs> interesting. I, you may be right. I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure what happened to the left. I mean, they're well, they they're, they call them liberals now. But liberals are not the left. Liberals no, I know they're the not. No liberals. Right. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, that, but but I mean, I think that's the new word for the people who are on the opposite side of the Republicans, which is still on the right. Yeah, which is still yeah. They're just a little yeah, not quite as far down the same street. Well, yes, uh, I mean, these people are right next door as opposed to three houses down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we watched we watched a documentary. Uh, I think uh, over the last weekend associated with, and I I'm going to get this guy's name because otherwise I'm just going to be kicking myself associated <laughs> with this. God, uh, what a great world that you can just take thirty seconds and find anything you want. Yes, just like here we are. Look, top search. Brandon Darby is the fellow's name. Okay, Brandon Darby was uh, an anarchist in Austin. He went down to New Orleans to help with the reconstruction. And then mysteriously, he affiliated himself with an anarchist group who was going to... They made a movie about him. Yes. Right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We watched the movie. Uh-huh. It's a very... I've got it. I haven't... I've downloaded watch it, but I haven't it. watched it yet. So you think yes. I should watch it, huh? Watch Nowhere Boy, if you haven't already, and then watch I've the got Brandon that Darby. Too. He's just a psychopath. I mean, he really, he, he's not as charismatic. I mean, he claims to be as charismatic as, as Manson. Yeah. But really, as, as the documentary concludes, and I won't give away any spoilers, yeah. Yeah. he, it's all about him. And it's not really <laughs> yeah. in any way thought out, associated with the people around him. It's not a, he's a narcissist. <laughs> the ability to switch, oh, not even switch allegiances to, to just basically write off your friends, those around you, to use them as a tool and then wonder why they won't have anything to do with you, why you are dead to them. Seems to be really... (laughs) It's psychotic. I mean, it is... Yeah, yeah. that part is. I mean, I can see doing it, but then at least own what you're doing and and realize that you're an asshole and you've chosen to be an asshole. Yeah. People are not going to like you for that. So, you know, I can respect that. But (laughs) you're right. (laughs) <laughs> to be surprised by it, yeah. it shows the guy who's an idiot. I think if you are if you are someone who's <laughs> in your late, he may not really be surprised by it. He may oh be no, I think surprised. The nature of the documentary is very much that he needs. In fact, the thing that I found most curious about the documentary is that they get everyone from all sides to participate in this thing. Yeah, but it is very interesting to, because initially I expected that he wouldn't be a, a an active participant in it because it is, and you find this through it, it's impossible for him to give a coherent story. Mm. I mean, it really is very strange that he has allowed himself to be filmed in so many different situations <laughs> where he's saying so many different things, yeah. which are all contradictory. What's the, so I, I need to find, what's the name of that movie? The, the, the one I'm, I, I think it's called find. Informant. Uh, the documentary, it's either The Informant or Informant. Because I... uh... Yes, Informant, Revolutionary to Rat, The Uneasy Journey of Brandon Darby. Oh, no, that's, sorry, that's the Austin Chronicle version, but I think... The Informant. The Informant. Yeah, Yeah, I see, I've got The Informant. Yes, or the documentary is actually called Informant, Yeah, and it's a documentary by Jamie Meltzer. Interesting. Uh, I may may not have it. I'll look for that. I I have something, a Blu-ray movie called The Informant. 
could I be think the they, same. There was, I think there's a fictional, uh, by sense, this was a fictionalized, that it wasn't a documentary. Oh, okay. You know, if, if there was a, a fictional, a movie made out of it. Let me see what the informant gives me. Because I'm interested in this now. So there's a film about Northern Ireland. There's The Informant, which I think I've seen, actually. And then there's The Informant, which is a 2009 film based on right, the book. Which this is all case going in 2000. Informant, just the word informant, yeah. is the movie that I'm talking about. Okay. And it's about Brandon Darby. All right, so I'm going to have to look for that. Yes. Okay. It's a very interesting, I mean, I already knew bits of it, and I knew bits of it because I watch, or I listen to, or I used to listen to, I don't listen to it anymore for a variety of reasons, but mainly for time reasons, um, the Pacifica Democracy Now! news mm. cast, what have you. And that's see, the left does still exist. Well, I that's interesting. about Pacifica. <laughs> yeah, Pacifica is probably the last that, representation. That's the end, but that is the old left, if there ever was an old yes, left. if there ever was Pacifica. an old left. And I knew when Pete Seeger died that if I found where Democracy Now! was, I could see an extended hour of Pete Seeger being interviewed. You got it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel relatively strongly about Democracy Now! as an institution. There's a fellow who is a sociologist in New York. He's appeared on... On Oprah? No, on Fox (laughs) News, actually. His name is Bertel Orman. I can actually do it from my memory. I don't need... Google. Bertel Orman is another, but Bertel Orman, um, had this idea that the left should be thought of almost like a poverty in the US. He actually re- re- created a charity organization <laughs> to go to Western countries, other Western countries, and raise money for the left as if it were, you know, famine yeah, Africa right. children. Yeah. yeah. Because they didn't exist in, you know, it, it didn't exist sufficiently. Yeah, they're going distinct. Yeah. Yes, exactly. No, that's the whole phenomenon, yeah. you know. Yeah. I don't spend uh, enough time in Berkeley. I think I need to spend more time well, in see, Berkeley. See, I think, I think this left-right stuff is really sort of passe. Well, anyway. it's lost, yeah, it's lost yeah. all meaning. Well, you know, uh, if we talked about F.M. Esfandieri, do you know about him? Uh, changed his name later to FM 2030. Uh, he, he planned on living till 2030, but he didn't. <laughs> but in any case, uh, he wrote a book called Upwingers. And he said that everyone, you know, the typical analysis is drawn on a line from left to right, that so- you're somewhere on that line. Mm. His argument was there's a whole space above that line. And you can be on the line or you can be halfway up that line or you can be up to the top of that space. And, and that your position in that space is far more important than where you are on the line. That you could be left or right, irrelevant, but if you're high up, then you're in, you're together. So there's the notion of the political compass, which divides the left and the right, and then in the other dimension, it's a two-dimensional graph, authoritarian, yeah. libertarian. Mm-hmm. And when I do the political compass, I am very far libertarian left. I am basically in the final square. Every time I take those kinds of questions, those mm-hmm. tests, I, I can't take the tests. I find the questions absurd. Uh, yes, there are a series of hard questions that you. Yeah, well, there are questions that that simply cannot be answered. Then, yeah. period. You know, and to answer in that way is to is to void the whole idea, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, proving that there probably should be a cube rather than a set. Well, who knows? But it certainly has to be multi-dimensional. Yes, know? I mean, there's a lot of aspects to this thing. It's not quite that simple. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this FM 2030 guy was uh, 
quite a character. He was an interesting guy. I knew, I actually hung around with him for a while back you in, did. in the late sixties. I was in with a, there, there was a, the six, the late sixties was an awesome time in Southern California. There was all sorts of interesting things going. On. So how did your paths cross? Well, you know, there were all, there were a bunch of groups I was involved in. One, I've told you about Kodo. Of right? course, yes. Yeah. Okay. So. I knew a lot of people from that. There was another thing called, what the hell was it called? The network, the, the on-purpose net, I think it was called the on-purpose network or something. I don't remember what the name was, but a guy named John Holmdahl started it. <laughs> and the, we used to have meetings up in Topanga Canyon at some rich lady's house. <laughs> and all these people from Southern California who were doing really interesting things would show up at her house once a month. And people got, you know, and you got to meet all these people and talk with them and share ideas and stuff. And I was in with all that group of people back then. That would have been the early 70s. Maybe it was. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly when it was. Yeah, late 60s. Yeah, probably early you 70s. You came back from Vietnam in 69, right? Yeah. I, I Shit, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, anyway, whenever it was, I mean, the time... Whenever it was, that was when it was. I don't know when it was. It probably was the early 70s now, now that you mention it. Yes. But I don't really know. Yeah. And so FM 2030 as he became. He was one of those. Well, he was FM Esfandieri at that time. He was teaching extension courses at UCLA. So apparently he changed his name in the mid-70s to... Well, oh, it was much later that he changed his name. Yeah, he was FM Esfandieri most of the time. The no, no, he changed it to FM Esfandieri in the mid-1970s, according to Wikipedia. Oh, okay. I, I, like I said, I, this yes. whole thing is history to me. Certainly. I, I met him. His name was uh, FM Esfandieri. Yes. He'd written a couple of books. Uh, in fact, Upwingers was one of those books, and it was by, by F.M. Esfandier. Yes, which he did in 1973. Oh, okay. So then this was sometime after that. Yes. Probably. So he wrote Telespheres in 1977, mm -hmm. and that seems to be a slightly later work than what you're describing. Well, I was just bringing it up for this idea of Upwingers. That, at the time, was a real revelation to me. You know, that, uh, always political discussion is left, right, liberal, conservative. Yeah. It's, it's, a, you're some position along this line. The idea that there's a space above that of other possibilities that is an independent variable. You could be far left and really high or far right and really high. And the two people who are really high may be more together than uh, two people on the left or on the right. And although I don't know the manifesto, I'm assuming the high relates to futurism. Uh, well, f whatever it is, I don't really care what you could probably map lots of things onto this. That would be one of them. Yes. Yeah. Or you could, you could call it. Yeah. It doesn't really make any difference. It's just another, the point is there are, it's multidimensional. You, there could be almost anything on that other dimension. But the, the problem is everything is restricted to this single dimension. Mm. You're either liberal or you're conservative. Mm. Well, I argue that I'm, that, I mean, again, it's not that you're liberal or you're conservative at all. I mean, I, these kind of comments that people make in the society indicate that they just don't understand what Oh, that's what I'm mean. saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it doesn't even care. It doesn't make any difference what they mean. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it's a start if you understand what they mean. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's still, it's just one perspective. But if you understand what they mean, you realize how ridiculous it is to even make those kind of comparisons. Well, then, yeah, but then you need to just clean up the language and say what you're trying to say. Yeah. I mean, that's the issue. And, of course, that's where Gendo comes in. Say what the what the hell you mean. Yes. You know, let's talk about what you actually are trying to say, not throwing a bunch of, you know, undefined labels around. So in 1966, he wrote a book called Identity Card. 
I'm not familiar. His, his fictional work started in 1959 uh-huh. when he wrote a book called The Day of Sacrifice. Then he wrote a book in 1965 called The Beggar. And in 1966, he wrote a book called Identity Card. He sounds like he was someone who was well ahead of his time. He was a very interesting guy. He was a nice guy, and he was, yeah, he was, um, well, he was one of the sort of stars of the community, you know. Yeah, he was a big deal. So who else, who else attended these kind of things? Oh, a bunch of people. You've heard of Barbara Marks Hubbard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she was in there once in a while. Mm-hmm. There's just lots of people. You know, most, most of them I don't think anybody's ever heard of, but a few of them have. The, the point was is that we were all there and ideas were floating around and it was really an awesome, uh, you know, place to be. <laughs> you know, it's the, sort of the same way I think about the, rev- you know, the American Revolution. There are all these names that people remember, but that's just a tiny percentage. The actual people who were involved in the revolution, whose names have long been forgotten, were as intimately involved and turned on and committed to that as Thomas Jefferson or John Hancock or any of those people. History has no memory of them, but but their experience of it was intimate and real. And and it's sort of the same way out of this kind of stuff. You know, there were probably a, a total of maybe... 200 people, maybe, in this group. At any one time, there probably weren't more than 70 or 80 uh, at the house. Mm. You know, but over a period of a year or two, you know, a lot of people came every time. Some people came occasionally. And So w- let's let's look at one of these events. Yeah. You you were right at a set day. Is it a Saturday or a Sunday? Or you know, I don't it? remember now. It was, I think it was, it was like the second Sunday of, a mo- of the month or okay. something. Okay. So do people start arriving at 8 It was a pain in the ass. No, I I don't remember exactly when. I never got up there until around noon. And there were were already people there. This is up in Topanga Canyon. So Mm -hmm. parking is a pain in the ass. Uh, You know, the whole thing is a a crazy place to have that kind of meeting. But it was a really awesome place to have that kind of Uh meeting. So it's a big house with a view, I'm assuming. Uh, No, it was really pretty much enshrouded with trees. I mean, there was sort of a view of the canyon, but it was really, uh, there were oak trees all around. And uh, it had a sort of closed feeling, actually. Mm. And a big main room where everyone could gather. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. There was there was that. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And then in a lot of rooms and a lot of space outside. My sense is we spent most of our side our time outside. Usually, sometimes people would give a talk. Sometimes nobody would give a talk. Uh-huh. Um, but you some, would gather in small to medium sized groups and just discuss ideas. Well, you just showed up and. And just it, everything just sort of took care of itself, you know. Mm-hmm. Because after a while, you be, you knew people, you know. So you you go through. I, I, at that point in time, when people said, "How are you?" I still said, "Fine." <laughs> so you didn't say complex. No, I didn't. I, I was actually trying to be nice and sociable. Uh-huh. So there was a lot of sociable, you know, hi, you know, blah blah blah, and all that shit. Um, but you know, basically, people paired off into people. You know, people had interests or whatever and, and and what there was was there may be a talk in which somebody actually talked for a half hour or so and everyone was sort of hanging around listening and then it would just break up into these sort of fluid groups of whatever that you know exchanged members and uh-huh. went, went on into the um, evening uh-huh. would people bring food would people cook what what uh, was the you know i it was i think it was a potluck interesting I thought, you know, it's so long ago. I hadn't thought, God, I haven't thought about this stuff in years. 
John Holmdahl, I don't even remember how I met him, but he's the guy who started a lot of this for me. He was the guy that started the On Purpose Network. Hmm. And um, and I, and he's just disappeared. I haven't seen him in like... I how would you spell Holmdahl? Well, it was H-O-L-M-D-A-H-L. I see, I found the name, but I haven't found anything that, that looked really like the guy I remember, you know, or, or that looked like that they're doing what he would, he was a real, he was a real interesting guy. I'd really love, I'd love to meet up with him again. Yes. Yeah, there's nothing on him. Yeah, he's one of those real background guys, but he was responsible for creating, uh, well, this particular network, which a lot of very interesting things came out of as a result of all these people meeting and exchanging ideas. Like I say, lots of um, interesting connections were made, and it was pretty much John Holmdahl's creation. Yeah, so there's a guy in New York who I'm trying to, no, it's, it's none of these people. Yeah, I was surprised. First time, you know, when the internet became a place to look for things, he was one of the first guys I looked up, found nothing. Dead. Mm. Yeah, the On Purpose Network is just lost to the seeds of time, Aaron. Yeah. Interesting. Do you get the sense that there were, you know, dozens of these things dotted over Southern California? Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I certainly didn't know of any others, because if I had, I'd been there. Yes. Um, I can't imagine that there were, but there, there may, there, I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. This was really special for me. You know, I, I felt, uh, well, it was just, it was just a pleasure to be at a house up in the Santa Monica mountains with a bunch of people who were really interested in changing the world. Yes. <laughs> How long did this go on for? Was this a three-year period? Oh no, I don't think it, I don't think it lasted that long. It was, um, you know, I just don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe two years, maybe less. Interesting. It was like once a month, you know, like second Sunday, and it wasn't always at the same house. It was usually at this one lady's house, and she was really beautiful too. Uh-huh. Oh man. Anyway, I don't remember her name. <laughs> oh well, damn. Yes. Well, yeah, you'd think out of our 6,000 listeners, maybe one other person might know. Well, maybe. I would love, uh, yeah, that, that was really a special, that was a special thing. It, it had a big influence on me. Well, and the S training and, and the stuff, the Kodo network that came Certainly. out of that uh, had a big impact on me. There are a bunch of things that, that had a big impact on me. Is this something where some of these people are shared or the, were they, they were two completely separate? What are you talking about, Kodo and um, and the on? Well, Est obviously had a link to Kodo because they were yeah because they were meeting it. It. yeah well well and, and yeah and that was that was where it started but of course it, it developed way beyond that but but these are more yeah. than fifteen if not twenty years apart though aren't they oh, oh no no ten years maybe ten years yeah yeah quite yeah I, I, actually I don't know like I say you're probably better on this than me yes. <laughs> I, I don't know. Whatever it is, um, my sense was it was the same spirit, though, or or not? Well, not the same. A very similar spirit, anyway. Even if it was ten years, I don't know for sure whether I'm, sh- I'm thinking there must have been some overlap of individuals. You know, there must have been, but I can't think of any. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is interesting these because I guess for me these things have never existed physically. I mean, I'm trying to do it with my little meetup. Yeah. Which I think is in its last throes. The fellow who was 
going to come and talk next week is now coming and talking in two weeks' time. But I said to him periodically, um, it would be nice if you promoted the event as well through your circles. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't really gotten anything. It looks like we'll probably have about 20 people there. Well, 20 people's 20 people. 20 people's 20 one of, people. And one of them may be a life-changing experience for you. Well, or for them. Or for them. Yes. Yeah. So, one is not unreasonable out of yeah. My spiritual advisor is actually coming with me to contact, which cool. is interesting. Yeah. Because I think I certainly found it inspiring for a variety of reasons last time I went there. I didn't feel that it created a community per se, but it certainly was interesting to hear from a variety of different folks who talked about, you know, everything from kind of feminism in space to <laughs> um, religious cults based on space to, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a genuinely interesting yeah. set of talks. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping I can inject some of that into the discussion. Uh, also, Penny Boston will be there, who's an archaeologist who I've wanted to hear talk for many years. And she's actually going to be in attendance. So she's one of the speakers as well. And what's Which, she going to talk about? Is I don't know. Archaeologist? Uh, well, uh, because there's all this, <laughs> well, there's, um, astrobiology and, you know, these kind of things. I'm sure there's astroarchaeology as well. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, there is. There's a word, but Jesus Christ. Well, I'm sure there's astroarchaeology. Well, there's astrobiology, and that's actually a field. There's actually well, that, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's why you can yeah. look at the chemicals in yeah. the atmosphere. That's true. So on this list, archaeology, of, on the other hand, I'm not so sure about. Well, you never know. I mean, no, the, I, on this list of speakers, I was first on the list. He spelt my name wrong, the convener, but I was first on the list. <laughs> well, Barbele, right? B. Oh, you think it was alphabetical? Maybe. You think? Maybe. You know, I don't know. Possibly. Well, probably not. No, no. Yeah, well, that's certainly what gets me on top. It's no for no other reason other than pure alphabeticals. Well, take what you can get. Yes. But, yeah, I don't know when I'm speaking at the um, event, I guess. I'll How many people do you figure will be in the audience? There were about 200 last time. Okay. Yeah, that's so. good. And how much time do you have? Half an hour. Half an hour. So I'm thinking 20 minutes plus question. Yeah. See, I would do it five minutes plus question. Well, I would as well, given the opportunity. But I think I need a greater warm-up than you might need in yeah. these circumstances. Yeah. So. But anyway, you want to minimize that part and get, you know, get interacting. Is, is... Yeah. Well, that was the thing that I enjoyed, actually, was that it was um, probably after... After every two or three speakers, there was 15 minutes of wandering. They did things, I mean, you're fed through this event as well, so you don't need to go away. You, yeah. you can sit around and talk through it, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And I actually went up to one of the speakers who is like a VP at Pixar. Uh, and had a chat with him. He's, he's one of these anima, 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 amateur astronomers. Um, and he does, you know, he talks about how the amateur astronomers are now creating insights the actual scientists are not doing. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's a very good metaphor for, you know, my experiences writing these simulations. So is, you know, I can do things that academics can't do. I have freedoms that academics don't yeah. have. And that gives me an ability to conduct insights. And this is exactly what he was talking about associated with the amateur astronomy movement yeah. as well. Yeah. And he showed photos and planets and systems that had been discovered with folks that just had digital SLR yeah. cameras and, you know, a persistence yeah. to look at a particular Well, it's place. happening in every field now. I mean, mm. film and, I mean, everything. Mm. You know, we've all got the technology to do it ourselves. You know, you could make a first-run Hollywood movie with you and your friends. Yeah, it really, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's amazing. Mm, it is. <laughs> 
It is pretty amazing. Yeah, and, and sound editing and all that stuff. Shit, you know, a couple hundred dollars for the software. and Not even that. Yeah, not it's not much. That. That's right. Yeah, it's almost yeah. nothing. And you can well, you got to buy the ma- the the instruments and the and yeah. the microphones and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, still, I mean, what used to cost a half a million dollars, you know, every teenager has <laughs> at their disposal now. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love it. That's just ah. so. Heron, I have an early start tomorrow, and I did say that it was probably going to be a slightly shorter recording, and I think probably yeah. we'll get at least an hour and a half out of this rambling. But um, yeah, I'm. I've always just my mind's eye gives me a picture when you start talking about these amazing meetings with all these people showing up, and it was. I'll know. tell you, man, I was blessed uh, to have lived. To have been a hippie and to have uh, lived in Southern California and been involved with the people that I was involved with, man, it was was a blessing. It's interesting, actually, because the way in which you frame it, I would normally look to someone to have, like, deeper stories and, you know, stronger reflections and names and Uh, and senses. And the way in which your mind, you know, returns to these things... Yeah. And sometimes I can actually tease more out of you by talking to you to a greater extent. Because well, yeah, because I don't, I don't stuff. spend any time thinking about the past. Yes. That's a, you know, unless you bring it up. I mean, I haven't thought about this. I mean, it's really vivid in my memory now. I mean, being in the yard, in fact, they had a dome, a small dome. It was like mm-hmm. 10 feet in diameter mm-hmm. in their yard. And people would always gather in the dome. Yes. You know, but it was small. So you Was know, it an open air dome or a closed air dome? No, it was closed. Uh-huh. But I mean except for the door entry part of it, but it was a closed dome. Yes. So uh you know, and the and the leaves on the ground and dirt there was no lawn or anything. Mm-hmm. It was an oak you know, basically yes. oak field. Yes. And uh Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I don't remember. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking of. I'm trying to think of names, you know. And I and I I can come up with some of them, but you know, they're not names that anyone's ever heard of. Yes. You know, there were like I say, there were a few people there who uh, who already were sort of famous and who would later uh, do things, uh, but not many. Yes. But it it didn't make any difference at that time. That's the thing is that we were just all there together, having a good time, exchanging ideas, you know, and. It was great. Well, with that, Heron, unfortunately, I'm going to probably have to conclude this evening. I will try, I will endeavor to make some <laughs> stories of my own through the week and uh, return next week with uh, a list of questions and some ideas. Okay, well, let's get those listeners involved here. Yeah, I've kind of dropped off. I what mean, is the point of having listeners if you're not going to give us, I mean, really, I mean... I think we should just give up, Heron. I mean, my view is we should stop the whole notion that we are there to either answer questions or appease this group of people. They have clearly, they're clearly utilizing us for our maximum potential, but not willing to invest anything themselves. We just need to put that out there and continue doing what we're doing. And if folks want to ask questions, we'll decide whether or not we choose to answer. There you go. That sounds good to me. Very yes. good. Fuck them. <laughs> Have a good evening, Aaron. I'll talk okay. to you soon. Take care. Right. See ya.